0: Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystorymp.church at and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey, everybody, I hope you're doing amazing today. If I have not had the uh, privilege of meeting you, my name is Andrew and I am uh, one of the pastors at Mountain Park. We are way into this book of Ephesians. We've been studying it for quite a while. And today we're gonna finish up uh, this message is the last one in this sort of paragraph that we've been reading about in Ephesians chapter four. So I wanna encourage you to grab your Bible um, if you can if you just have your phone, pull up a Bible app on your phone and get ready because we're gonna dive into this as we continue to unpack um, what Paul is talking about as it relates to maturity and spiritual formation and growing into the fullness of Christ and all of that stuff. So grab that stuff that you need, grab a pen and a ruler maybe even, take some notes, Um, mark some things up in your Bible. But before we jump in, let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we love you, and we just want to take a moment to just slow down. We want to um, slow our thinking down even right now, and we just take every thought captive that is going on and racing around in our minds. We take them all captive and bring them under the authority of Jesus Christ. We just even slow down our breathing and our heart rate and and we just ask Jesus that um, in these moments, everything that you have purposed and desired for us, everything, Holy Spirit, that you wanna pour out in terms of understanding and wisdom and revelation, that you would have the space and the margin to do that. And so we just invite you to search us and examine our our anxious thinking, examine our worried thinking. Father, um, we just invite you, if there's anything right now taking place in us uniquely that's competing for your attention, that's distracting us from the things that you want to impart to us through your word today. We just want to give you even just a brief moment to bring those things into the light, to call them to mind. And Father, for all of those things, we just lay them at your feet. We acknowledge them We acknowledge the concerns of our life and the cares of our life. We acknowledge the difficulties we're facing in many different ways. We acknowledge all of it. And we, Jesus, just choose to slow down, get behind you and entrust to you our whole lives again. Father, in the name of Jesus, if there's anything present taking place in the hearts or minds of anyone under the sound of my voice, that is in opposition to your very will or desire for their lives in the moments that we are together, your purposes and desire for their lives in the moments we're together in the name of Jesus. We just command that every assignment or strategy of the enemy uh, would be bound and brought under the authority of Jesus Christ. We forbid the enemy of God from having any influence outside of your purposes and desire right now. And we just declare, Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Father, we love you. Our desire is to love you and to know you. We ask that you teach us through your word today. Amen. All right. So Ephesians 4. Let's just read this paragraph again, and we're going to unpack a few things together. I'm going to start my timer, which really it's only partially useful, <laughs> as you've probably noticed if you've been tracking with us for a while. but at least it does tell me how long I'm preaching for. Um, Ephesians four. All right? So we're going to start in verse 11. again, just a bit of context here. If Paul starts Ephesians four, talking about um, the calling of God on our lives and on the church in general in our need to fully live into and live a life worthy of the great calling that he has. You have a great calling on your life. You may not even believe me when I say that, but it's true, you have a calling from God on your life. The body of Christ, the larger church, the big C church has a calling from God, a purpose on the earth and Paul is saying, Do everything you can to live a life worthy of that calling. And he breaks that down in a few specific ways, but we're gonna pick it up in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, all right? So again, that's not a comprehensive list. Paul has um, a list in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and 14, and Romans 12, Uh, some of these things are common to those lists as well, and some of them are unique to the other list, so this is not intended to be a comprehensive list, per se, but um, Paul is just re-emphasizing again that we do not only have a calling from God, but we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. We've been gifted by him, to walk out our divine calling from God on the earth. Their responsibility, he continues, is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. All right. And so, again, we're seeing here that the gifting of God is necessary, is a necessary function and component for the building up of the body of Christ, for the growing into the fullness of Christ and the maturity of Christ. He goes on to say, uh, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. Again, we need a unity with what we believe is true about Jesus. We need a unity of core doctrine. We need a unified place that we are directing our faith toward Jesus Christ. We need a unified understanding of that. Uh, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. And so I want you to just circle or underline that word mature, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then, all right, so after that happens, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Again, I want to remind you, Paul is not talking about, you know, us figuring out what we believe for our faith and, and, um, you know, misstepping, uh, with our theology or misstepping in our understanding of God. Paul is talking about people who are being intentionally deceptive specifically with the Word of God or in the church, people who are trying to intentionally change uh, the the essential meaning of Scripture to fit their own agenda and to mislead the church, to bring the church into a different understanding of what's true. That's what Paul is talking about there. We have that running rampant in Paul's day um, all over the place. It happened everywhere, and it happens today. So it is a big issue in the life of the church today, but uh, it's not a new one. It's been happening for thousands of years. And uh, so we just need to kind of settle ourselves down a little bit. We're, we're hitting a bit of a, a panic button in the moment right now because we see sort of, uh, you know, the emergence of progressive Uh, theology, the emergence of uh, deconstructionist sort of approach to faith and scripture. We see the emergence of secularization, and all of these things are becoming significant sort of uh, issues in the life of the church, but none of these things are new. None of these things are, uh, you know, we're facing for the first time. And so we actually just need to Just take a deep breath, step back, and not panic and not freak out about some of this stuff. Um, He goes on to say there, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work It helps the other parts grow. Again, he's coming back to this analogy of the church as a body and that the the body and all of the different functions of the body are essential for each other, all right? We need uh, each other for proper growth spiritually and maturity in the life of the church, It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Again, so Paul is talking about living a life worthy of the calling. He's setting a target of growing into the fullness or the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about spiritual formation here and being formed into the full likeness of Christ. And um, he's talking about the, the role of spiritual maturity in that way, and so uh, growing into the full stature of Christ, being formed into the likeness of Christ requires maturity. I just want to give a brief definition to that word mature that's used in this context here and in many other places in Scripture. Uh, So that Greek word is teleos, and it means to be perfect, mature, complete, Initiated or fully developed, it describes something complete, mature believers and the perfection of God. So, in other passages, that word "mature" is actually um, is actually rendered perfect. <laughs> so uh, it has that connotation. It has the connotation of completeness, and it has the connotation of. Uh, being uh, full and uh, not lacking anything. And just here, uh, another part of this definition is uh, that this teaching about maturity is about loving enemies, all right? And is described as perfect, all right? So when Jesus was using this word, In Matthew 5, 48, he said, be perfect as God is perfect. But the context of that was an interrelational context, all right? So Jesus was teaching about loving enemies, and he describes God as perfect and says that believers must likewise be perfect. The term is used to describe God's will as well, so it's used to describe God's perfection, or being perfect in the context of human relationships. It's used to describe God's will, Romans 12, 2. It's used to describe the gifts of God, James 1, 17, and the heavenly tabernacle, Hebrews 9 and 11, as perfect, all right? So um, Paul is talking about growing uh, into something that is not lacking in any area of our lives. The writer of Hebrews says this, uh, related to this idea in this subject. He says in Hebrews 5, there is much more we would say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That word for dull is quite a derogatory word in the original Greek. It literally means stupid. Um Or lazy. (laughs) You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. All right, so here we need to understand there is an important kind of principle that he's laying out here. Spiritual maturity is not linked to your age. It's not linked to how long you've been a Christian. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how many years you've followed Jesus, okay? We need to just be clear on that. So he says, you've been believers so long now, you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Verse 13, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training, all right? So solid food is for those who are mature, circle that, underline that, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. That's the NLT. I wanna read to you verse 14 in the CSB. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses, have been trained to distinguish between good and evil, all right? So we're picking up here sort of the the working definition of what the writer of Hebrews says is maturity, all right? Uh, In the ESV, here's what it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish Good from evil. This is why uh, we've spent so much time this year and in the last few months talking about hearing the voice of God and the reality that it actually takes practice, it actually takes work, it takes training to be be able to distinguish the voice of God. Of course, God speaks to us primarily uh, through scripture. All right. The scriptures are fully sufficient to uh, teach us everything we need to know about God, everything we need to know about salvation and everything, every principle we need for life, living a godly life. Actually, the scriptures are referred to as a canon. And that word canon, it's not the kind that you shoot, you know, in war, but that word canon is actually literally a measuring stick. So scripture is our measuring stick for life. It's our measuring stick for what's true. It's our measuring stick for how we live. It's our measuring stick for how we interact with others and all of these things. But here's a distinction that I just wanna point out. Again, in our need to hear the voice of God and recognize through our senses be able to distinguish between good and evil. So Scripture tells us that God hates the proud but gives grace to the humble. Scripture tells us that pride is sinful, that pride is evil, that God is far from the proud. But Scripture doesn't tell you in the moment, this is now when you are harboring pride in your heart. That's the, the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in illuminating Scripture and speaking to us, driving this word deep into our heart and personalizing it for us. Okay, so I can read, you know, from Scripture that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But it's actually through the practice of learning to discern the voice of God, the activity of God all around me and through all of my senses that I come to discern, hey, Andrew, in this moment, you have pride gripping your heart. Andrew, right now, you actually need to repent from your proud thoughts or your, you know, and and so if it's not pride, just go and fill in the list of things. So scripture gives us the measuring stick. Pride is evil. (laughs) God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, but we need to practice and develop our spiritual senses to be able to distinguish between good and evil, to discern what is of God, what's of the world, what's of the kingdom of darkness, and what's of our own flesh. Again, go back to Ephesians 2. We need maturity to be able to discern rightly all of these things through our senses, all right? So, In other words, maturity equals senses that have been trained, all right? Our faculties, um, you know, if you look this up in a theological dictionary, it will say that our faculties or our organs of sense, all right? We have five different senses physically. And interestingly enough, um, you know, a lot of those, I think all of them have a spiritual correlation in Scripture, There's a spiritual duplicate for what we experience in the natural. So uh, maturity equals senses that have been trained, our faculties, our organs of sense. These are the different ways that we rightly discern what's true. We Yes, we discern with our mind. We discern with our knowledge and our understanding. But we need to be able to discern rightly what we're seeing is that from God or not, or is that, um, you know, good or evil? We need to discern what we're hearing from culture. We're hearing from other people. We're hearing from other Christians. We're hearing from our own heart, whether it's good or evil. We need to be able to discern, you know, um, what we're feeling, our sense of touch, but, but also our feelings, our feelings need to come under the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. But it's not, again, um, it's not so easy. It's something we have to actually intentionally work out and practice. And so we need to discern with our senses. There's a story in Acts 12 where Peter is miraculous. He's in jail and they're ready to execute him in jail. Then, so he's sleeping at night. The next morning, he's gonna be executed. I don't know how he was sleeping when he's about to be have his head chopped off the next morning, but he's sleeping. An angel comes, hits him on the side of the head, tells him to get up, put on your shoes and come out. And this angel leads him out of the prison and these doors are opening automatically in front of him. Um, God is powerfully and miraculously moving and uh, they get out onto the streets and Peter doesn't know Uh, at this point, yet whether he's dreaming or whether this is real, but then it says he came to his senses and realized that it actually happened. How did he come to his senses? He came to his senses by, you know, observing his environment through all of his organs of sense, through what he was seeing, through what he was smelling, through, you know, what he was touching, the the wet dew of night or, um, you know, as he passed by certain places on the street that he recognized. It was all of his senses coming together that alerted him to go, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not dreaming here. And that's the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying is necessary for spiritual discernment. That's necessary in life. It's that aha moment. I had a couple of aha moments that are pretty funny in my marriage with Rochelle. The first aha moment that I had where my I came to my senses I we were very newly married and I have grown up loving cheese I love cheese Rochelle loves cheese too but when we were newly married I would put cheese in our grocery cart I'd put orange cheese or marble cheese in the grocery cart and Rochelle would always say no I don't I don't want I don't want that cheese. That's that's not healthy cheese. No offense to you if you love orange cheese. Um, And, uh, you know, we would have these little arguments and these little fights about it. And finally, she just said to me, Andrew, that's just food coloring and dye in the cheese. Have you ever seen a cow that produces orange milk? And I had this aha moment. Uh, You're right. No, I've never seen a cow. I grew up, you know, with friends who owned a dairy farm. I've never seen a cow produce orange milk out of the udder as food coloring and food dye. And I came to this aha moment about orange cheese, which then pulled me into her side of like, okay, now I understand. I fully get it. I fully get it. When I see orange cheese in the grocery store now, I go food dye food coloring, all right, and we don't buy it. The second one that we had, which was just like a mind-blowing, uh, you know, aha moment for me, we were pulling into a gas station to get gas, like we had a thousand times together. And, you know, every time I pulled in the station, I was always doing that quick, all right, what, uh, what side is the, the gas tank on in this car? Like we had two cars and I could never keep them straight. I could never keep it straight. And you know how you're, you're driving into the gas station and you're trying to look in the rear view mirror to see if it's on the driver's side or not. And you're straining to, you know, to figure out where the gas cap is. And the Rochelle just said, just look at the gas gauge. Why do you think they put a little picture of a gas pump and an arrow? And I looked at it. And I and I went, I don't know, I've never thought about that. And she said, the arrow is pointing to the side of the car that the tank is on. <sighs> mind blown. I actually remember we were in Tulsa. Were we? No, we weren't in Tulsa. That's when I was blowing somebody else's mind with this radical new information. But my mind was blown and I had this ginormous aha moment. And that's what um, was happening to Peter on that road. And that's that convergence of us coming to our senses, our, our learning to distinguish and use powers of discernment that are being trained through what we're seeing and what we're experiencing and what's going on around us. It's the convergence of that aha moment that begins to bring about maturity. And the aha moment is when we realize what we are feeling, what we're seeing taking place around us in our families or in our church or in our culture, whatever. So the aha moment for spiritual maturity is where we realize what we're feeling, seeing, hearing, or doing, and whether that is in line with God and his goodness or with the enemy in his kingdom of evil and darkness, or if it's just ourselves. The aha moment is when we're able to distinguish those things in real time. And this is, we see this in the life of Jesus that he used the full range of his senses, the full range of human emotion and his feelings. Jesus was acutely aware of what was happening around him all the time. It's interesting if you look in the Gospels uh in John 6, for instance, it says uh John 6, 61, and there's a few other references in John 6 where Jesus sensed or he knew or he perceived. There was nothing happening outside of him that was doing this. It was it was something in side. Internally, he was perceiving what was in the heart of the people uh, opposite him. He was sensing what was taking place. He was sensing, um, you know, the truth of what God was speaking to him in contrast to the things going on around him. In Mark 2, 8, it says this, immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, he said to them. And so Jesus is in this context, he's being questioned by these religious leaders. And it says, perceiving in his spirit, Jesus was using all of his senses there to discern and distinguish uh, what was taking place and what was true about what was taking place and distinguish between good and evil. So this... Um, maturity being linked to our senses is our own ability, our own ability. I'm going to just read this again. Our own ability to realize when what we are feeling, seeing, hearing, or doing is either in line with God and his goodness, or the enemy and his evil, or just our own flesh. And so this is what Paul is kind of has under the surface when he's talking about growing into maturity in Christ. It's that ability. So I would just want to cover a couple things with you. Now, let's cover the barriers to that, because sometimes it helps to look at it from the other side of the coin. The number one barrier to spiritual growth and maturity that Paul is talking about in this context, either by inference or direct sort of... Uh, you know, communication is dysfunction in the body. So, number one, barrier to growth spiritually in your life and the growth of the church is dysfunction in the body. And it is maturity related to the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and the calling uh, that we all have and how we are to steward that in a healthy way in the life of the church. So, James 1 7 says, whatever is good and perfect. All right, that word perfect is the same as mature. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from God to us. And so James is talking about spiritual gifts being one of those things that God has perfectly handed down and given to us. And, and there is a calling on our lives to rightly steward or maturely steward the spiritual gifts that God has given us and specifically to steward that, not in radical isolation. We have a a huge problem in our culture and specifically in the Western culture or Western church of radical independent isolation. The problem is that you and I were never designed to live alone, and two, the church has never been about just one person living in individual isolation apart from everyone else. That's why everything in scripture talks about the church as a body, a group, a community, a collective of people. So dysfunction in that body is a growth, uh, sorry, is a barrier to spiritual growth and maturity. All right. I want to just say this, and in line with what Paul is saying in verses 11 and 12 and 15, that in our church context, the larger corporate body context, um, the dysfunction of a church that doesn't use all of the spiritual gifts in the life of a church leads to immaturity and stunts growth. All right. So a church family, and we're all guilty of this. Our church is guilty of it. Every church is guilty of this in one fashion or another. But it is a barrier to spiritual maturity when churches don't function in all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them. When they don't make room for all of the different gifts. And there are certain segments of the uh, sort of the evangelical world that have cut off whole whole parts of the body, whole areas of gifting and said that they're not for today and you know all of these things and they've basically amputated significant parts of the body and are trying then to compensate and function but they'll never the church will never function and grow to maturity with a dysfunctional body in that way if we don't recognize, and value and champion the use of all of the spiritual gifts. And this is something that God has been really stirring in me, and I don't even know all of the answers to how we will tackle this. But as a church, we want to continue to press into that place where we're giving room and space for all of the gifts to operate, and it all doesn't need to happen in one service on one Sunday morning but we need to give space for the whole body to come and contribute their gifting, to be challenged by each other, to grow, be encouraged by each other, and to uh, come into unity together in, in that way. And so when local churches don't allow for the expression or don't value all of the gifts, there is a dysfunction there that stunts growth. I would actually say this even on a larger scale, um, we can see denominational silos all over the landscape of the body of Christ. Whole denominations that are about one or two things singularly, whole denominations that are only about teaching or only about preaching and whole denominations that are only about one or two of the charismatic giftings, only about the prophetic or only about the apostolic or only about healing. And um, that's a dangerous thing that leads to a stunting of growth. We have whole denominations that are built on this and are structured around them, and that's not healthy, It's not healthy and it's stunting growth. The truth is that Jesus himself embodied all of the spiritual gifts. He's really the only one that did. Jesus himself embodied all of the gifts and he himself embodied all of the major streams of uh, spiritual life that we've seen through the ages. Jesus himself embodied the holiness movement and Jesus himself embodied the reformed movement and Jesus himself embodied the revivalist movement and Anabaptist movements and charismatic movements. Jesus himself embodied, you know, uh, the, the, the movement toward monasticism and the mystics in the early Church history, Jesus himself embodied features of all of these. He walked in all of these streams, and it's not maturity to silo ourselves and sever off everything else that we don't agree with or that is not consistent with our own personal a preference or desire, that's not maturity. That's actually what the book of Hebrews describes as immature. That's the person who needs milk. They can't tolerate a different kind of substance or food in their diet. So they need only what they will fit within a, a sort of a specifically defined framework, and they can't see the value and benefit of these other parts of the body of Christ. It actually takes maturity for us to recognize and value and validate and learn from the other parts of the body that aren't like us. We need to receive strong biblical teaching from the Baptist movement and reform movements, strong apologetic from those movements. But equally, we need to receive the gifts of the Spirit and the flow of the Spirit and the, the operation of the Spirit from the charismatic movement. And, you know, we need equally the Bill Johnsons and the John MacArthur's. And I'm just picking those because they're basically as far apart as you could get. On the spectrum, we need them both equally and balanced, giving check and balance to each other. What we don't need is people writing off whole segments of the body of Christ and saying they're illegitimate, uh, amputating arms and body parts, and then trying to function in maturity without the design of God himself for us. And so Paul is highlighting here for us, you know, that the, a church that is not functioning in all of the gifts and valuing them and, and uh, bringing them into the, the forefront is one that is actually going to be stunted in its growth and be immature. And part B of that, uh, this dysfunction, part B of the dysfunction in the body is maturity related to relationships, all right? So again, back to Matthew 5, verse 48. Jesus is teaching us about loving our enemies and describes God as perfect, all right? So that word is teleos there. That word is for mature and says that as believers, we must also likewise be perfect, that word teleos. And so there's maturity is connected to how we live in relation to each other, Our churches are deeply immature relationally. If you just take a survey, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so I've had a specific kind of window of insight into the church. Yours may be similar or yours may be different. But I think one of the, the great things that has grieved the heart of God and it grieves me is a deep relational immaturity in the church. We don't know how in grace and truth and love to step into relationship where there's conflict or where there's been hurt or a fracturing of trust or things like that. Instead, the, the story of the life of the church is that we, we split apart, we run away from conflict, we run away from relational upheaval, we run away from hurt and, and we start our own church. Why do you think there's so many? There's literally hundreds of denominations Hundreds and hundreds of denominations because of our immaturity in relationships, our immaturity to, to uh to grow and allow God to shape us through the relationships that we're in. And so Jesus in Matthew 5 is connecting maturity with our ability to operate in with the fruit and character of Himself. And it's ironic that sometimes we who know the most about the Bible carry the least maturity when it comes to how we relate to others. Scriptural knowledge is important, it is. But scriptural knowledge is not a replacement for allowing Christ to use the relationships and the difficult relationships. In Proverbs, it says that, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One woman sharpens another one. We are made for, God uses very specifically our relationships as tools to help to grow us toward maturity. But very often, these are the very areas of our life that we refuse to submit to and to grow into. You know, when we put food in our mouths, back to Hebrews 5 when we, and this analogy of, you know, needing milk but not being ready for solid food. When we put food in our mouth, all right, I love steak. You know that. My new favorite is a picanha, which is like the Brazilian cut, the kind you get at Copacabana. Anyway, um, when we put a steak in our mouth, we actually need to chew it and break it down in order to receive the nutrients of the steak. When I was fasting in January, here's a bit of confession time, I was fasting in, in January and I just, the kids and Rochelle were eating something, how rude, hey? Eh? <laughs> just kidding. They were eating something and uh, and I just was like so craving what they were eating, which was sausage. <laughs> They were so, I just was dying. So here's what I did. Here's confession time. I'm fasting day whatever, 15 or something. And um, I took a piece of the sausage. Here's the height of legalism for you, okay? I took a piece of the sausage, I put it in my mouth, and I sucked the juice out of the sausage, but I didn't chew it because then I'd be eating, right? This is just, it's ridiculous. It's the height of legalism. Anyway, I sucked the juice and the flavor out of it, and then I spit it out into the garbage. And it's a little bit of a funny way to illustrate how, you know, we want to come into church and, you know, be a part of a growing, thriving community of people. But often, as soon as we're, Called into confrontation and difficulty and trial and struggle in our relationships. As soon as we're actually called to begin chewing and allow things to be broken down and compressed and, you know, whatever in our life, we actually spit it out and we run out the other way. And this is the story of so many of your lives and so much of the life of our church. Maturity requires a breaking down of us. Jesus used different analogies of our need to die to ourselves, our need to be broken in order to produce fruit and to grow. Maturity requires a breaking down. And so often the vehicle for that in our lives are relationships that are difficult, if we wanna grow spiritually in the kingdom of God, we must be willing to be broken down in the collisions that we're having with others. We must allow God to use conflicts and confrontations, sharp clashes, and all of that as an instrument to move us toward humility, brokenness, and dying to ourself. These are the embodiment of the character of Jesus Christ. Our instinct is to protect, to run, to deflect, to fortify, to push away, or to repay hurt for hurt or evil for evil. That's our instinct. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew five in calling us to a different way to live, calling us to a, a reality that spiritual maturity requires us to step into relationships spiritual maturity in this way requires us to pay attention to our interior life to pay attention to what's happening as we're grieved in relationships as we're hurt in relationships as we experience confrontation and conflict Internally, to pay attention to what we're feeling and to be able to distinguish at that level God, what is it that you want to do in my life? through this that is so challenging that is so hard that is so difficult that's so exhausting all of it in our families and in our workplaces and in our church and with our friends and the people that we love the most are often the ones who bring us the deepest hurt so understanding what's happening in our interior life the the feelings that are being provoked understanding Who is behind those? And is God, is there, what is your purpose here? Or is this a feeling that's coming from the enemy's camp or just my own flesh? And often what we do with that will determine whether or not we will enter into maturity and growth through that circumstance or whether we will resist it and bounce back into the cycles of living that have dominated our life. So we need to know the difference between thoughts and feelings that are hard, but come from God for the purpose of breaking us down <laughs> in a good way, humbling us, chipping away at the hardness of our heart, at our character in our life. We need to know the difference between thoughts like that that come from God, versus being governed by the feelings that only reinforce our own echo chamber, our own feelings of self-pity, our own pride, our own defensiveness, our own anger. We need to distinguish and it takes maturity to actually be able to sit with God with these things and say, help me sort this out. God, I don't wanna run from the very tool and vehicle that is meant for my growth. I don't wanna run and run back into my own camp of safety. All right, so that's number one in our sort of barrier to spiritual growth is dysfunction in the body and it's dysfunction in our ability to use the gifts and it's dysfunction in our relationships. Number two, It's a disconnection from the head. Jesus as the full standard. And this goes back into what we talked about last week, but this is verse 13, 15, and 16. When we're disconnected from the whole Jesus as the standard for our whole life, when we're disconnected um, and kind of run into these fragmented ideologies of a part of jesus when we're disconnected and only see jesus uh, with these narrow sort of lenses on we can get stunted in our growth and maturity when all of jesus is no longer the standard for our life all of him not just the parts we want But when all of Jesus is no longer the standard and his influence and lordship is no longer welcomed in the difficult things of our life, then we run the risk of being stunted in our maturity and in our growth. Number three, doctrinal deception and disunity. This is what Paul is talking about in verses 13 and 14. Again, this can stunt us in our growth toward maturity when we, when we are um, being swayed to the left and the right. And again, like I said before, Scripture is sufficient to teach us all we must know about God and salvation. Scripture is sufficient to give us the parameters, all right? Again, the measuring stick, the canon of Scripture, is our measuring stick for life and we must have unity on what essential doctrines are necessary for our lives. There are things that the Bible is very vague and open-ended about and there are things that it is very precise and very specific about. We need to have unity in our faith toward those things that the Bible is specific about, is very precise about. We must have unity in what is essential and what faith requires of us in practice, all right? So this is a two-sided coin we talked about last week. The unity of what we believe to be true and unity in how we allow Scripture to shape our lives. Another way to say that might be, we not only need to agree with what Jesus said, we need to live the way Jesus lived. We need to adopt the spiritual practices of Jesus and the disciples for our life is normative. Uh, we not only need to believe what Paul wrote, we need to live under the example of Paul in his life in practice, all right? And we're going to talk actually probably a bit more about that. And we may even head into a series, a short series Understanding what we believe doctrinally, especially today when everything is so confusing and everything's all over the map. Clinton E. Arnold, he's my favorite scholar for the book of Ephesians. He's by far the one who I think has the most comprehensive understanding of the spiritual background uh, historically for the first century believers that were in Ephesus. But he says this Paul wants all believers, to be on a path of spiritual formation leading to Christian maturity. He also talks about that in Colossians 128. The goal is daunting indeed because God wants us to become like him in blamelessness, be perfect as I am perfect. Allow the relationships around you to actually be an instrument to lead you toward maturity. Don't just Um, you know, have these collisions and clashes with people and then head out the back door into your own little silo. We're called to be blameless and become like him in blamelessness, holiness, and perfection. Although this transformation will not completely take place until Christ returns and presents himself with the church as his holy and spotless bride, the church is called to pursue this goal relentlessly. It is thus the responsibility of the gifted leaders of the church to do all they can to facilitate this growth. This is why we're so passionate in our services about being responsive to the Holy Spirit. This is why we're trying to be clear about what we teach. This is why we spend so much time in ministries like healing care and other things where we're touching on Um, your life and my life from an emotional level, a a relational level, a spiritual level, a a cognitive, intellectual level, a, a level of passion. It's why we worship the way that we do on any given Sunday morning. It's why we value worship nights and revival weekends. We want to actually stir up every facet and component of the life of Christ. So two things I want to leave you with that can help accomplish this. Number one, meditating on Scripture. J.I. Packer says this: How can we turn our knowledge of God into, uh, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? He goes on to say, the rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself that various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God, Scripture It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God as a means of communion with God. So a vehicle to help you grow toward maturity is meditating on Scripture. That's why in our group experiences, we've combined devotional, meditative approaches to reading Scripture with inductive study. We need both of them together. The second thing is prayer and specifically silence and solitude. J.I. Packer again in his book Knowing God, which is a fantastic book if you haven't read it, says people who know their God are before anything else people who pray. And the first point where their zeal and energy for God's glory comes to expression is in their prayers. So this is what Paul is saying and warning us against, these are the uh, potential pitfalls of maturity in your life. I wanna encourage you to take a few moments to just enter into a few moments of prayer where you're just listening for the voice of God, the direction of the Holy Spirit, where you're listening for him and allowing him to put his finger on any areas of dysfunction relationally taking place around you, any areas where you've been running and protecting and hiding and any areas of your life where, in contrast to Matthew 5, you've been responding in anger and aggression and, and um, you know, all of that stuff. And I want you to take a few moments and ask God if there are anything that you've been believing about Scripture or about truth that is actually leading you out of maturity and leading you onto shaky ground, and if there's any part of the life of Christ that you've been unwilling to accept, if you're disconnected from the head, which is Jesus Christ in any way, if you are struggling with one area of his teaching or just refuse to actually acknowledge or accept one facet of his character, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring that to mind because these are often the points at which he wants to bring us into a fuller, more complete unity in Christ. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.